Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. And so once again, how many of us view it as a privilege, a blessing to serve the Lord? I always say that I never want to be in a place where I'm treating serving God like something I have to do. I got to. I got to go down to the church and do this. I got to. It always needs to be something we get to do. And whenever it starts feeling like something you got to do, you want to back up off of it and spend some time with the Lord and figure out what went wrong. But it shouldn't be, I got to do. It should be something that we recognize. It's something I get to do. So often, serving the Lord becomes a chore, just something you have on your to-do list each week. Go to church, give your offering, and fill in as a Sunday school teacher once a month. Check, check, check. But as Pastor Bill shares in today's message, serving God should be seen as a blessing. It shouldn't be viewed as something you have to do, but something you get to do. So how do you keep a fresh heart and spirit when it comes to serving the Lord? Spend time in His presence. He longs for that. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 8 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Leviticus chapter 8, starting at verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as a sin offering, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And so just a few things. Um, The first word in verse 1 is and. So conjunction is connecting us to chapter seven, everything that we've been looking at. So we've been looking at the different offerings. They were taught how to put these offerings forth and they had the wave offering. And we were taught last week the part that was to be set apart for the priest to eat and the part that was going to be given up to the Lord. And so we're continuing in that. And now that sacrifices have been offered, now that those things have been dealt with, because in chapter seven, first they had to offer sacrifices for themselves before they could do it for anyone else. And I think the same is true for us, that before we can be of use in ministering to someone else, we have to have been met by God in a particular area. And so that's why many times those that are very useful in ministry and useful in service are those that have come out of the thing for which they're ministering to someone else. Um, Someone that's been through uh, maybe losing someone, they've been through pain, they've been through hurt, and they've been met by God, are very useful in ministering to someone else that's going through it. Speaking to a gentleman this week that the Lord's blessed him and brought him out of addiction and bondage. And so many times those that have been brought out from those things, very they'll be useful and helpful in ministering to someone else that's still there. So before God goes any further with them, it's just important to note that they had to deal with their stuff first. So first sacrifices have been offered for themselves before they could offer it and be of service to someone else. That's just a good model for us. If we want to be of service and useful to do something for someone else, um, we want to have been ministered to. We want to have a victory. Worst thing in the world is somebody trying to help you do what they haven't done yet or somebody telling you to do what they haven't done yet. Somebody in a jacked up relationship telling you how to fix yours. Um, I, you don't take that counsel. You know, somebody with bad financial history telling you what you should do with your finances. That's not who you want to be talking to. You know, they're not really in a position to be helpful yet. And so they were being dealt with first so that they might be useful and ministering to others 
It says now, so they were set apart in that way. Verse two said to take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments, the anointing oil, the bull for as a sin offering two rams and a basket of unleavened bread. These were all the things that were being taken. And in verse three and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle. Um, this wasn't going to be a secret thing. And you guys remember this congregation is quite large. This is quite a bit of people that are there. And God says, I want you to take these guys that I'm going to be setting apart as priests. And I want you to bring them in front of the whole congregation and do this ceremony. I want everybody here to know that these guys are set apart by me for me. And so I thought about this because I think a lot of times Christians um, want to have separate compartments of their life. Um, there are people that are they got their church life. How you doing? Praise the Lord. Yeah. Got my Bible. Got my Bible purse. My Bible. I don't have a Bible purse, but you might have a Bible purse. So you got your little you got your church get up and then you might have a whole nother persona at work. Be a whole nother person. Then you might have a whole nother persona in the neighborhood. And then you might have a whole nother persona somewhere else at the gym or whatever. And God says, no, I want everybody to know that these guys are set apart for my service. So I would just ask you to consider your life. Consider all the places you go and all the things that you do. And is there a difference? Um, would people in one place be shocked to find that you serve the Lord, or that you're, you know, you, that you go to church, that you know, you call yourself a Christian? Would there be people at some other juncture, some other part of your life that would be surprised to find out that you serve the Lord? Or would they say, oh, yeah, 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 we fully expect that. These guys are being brought up and God's doing this on purpose. Everybody's going to know. And I was trying to think, like, how could that happen today? What would that look like today? We're not in that culture. We don't all gather in big, large groups in one place together. It would be like those that are serving at church. Uh, it being broadcast on television for your community. Everybody in, in your city and abroad would see that, oh, that girl right there, that's what she does. That guy right there, that's what he does at church or whatever, that everybody would know that this is what you are. And so I think that that's important. God wants it to be a public thing. God doesn't want any secret service agents. Uh, he's not looking for us to be undercover. God's not looking for us to hide it. Um, God wants it to be out there. And so these guys are brought up in front of everybody. Why? Because it's an honor that they get to be in service of the Lord. It shouldn't be something that was hidden or embarrassing or shameful. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. There's an honor being bestowed upon them that they would be chosen for this great work. And so how many of us see the opportunity to serve God like that? How many of us view it as an honor that bestowed upon us that we get to be of service to the Lord? And if you write a note, you can write down Exodus chapter 29, verse 1. And Exodus 29, it actually tells us the whole purpose for the ceremony that's happening here. And it was to hollow them. It was to that there would be a sense of reverence and honor to them for what they were doing. It says in uh, Exodus 29, 1, and this is what you shall do to them to hollow them for ministering to me as priest. And he goes on, explains the ceremony. So God I want them to be hollowed. I want them to be revered in your sight as those that are performing this service unto me. And so once again, how many of us view it as a privilege, a blessing to serve the Lord? I always say that I never want to be in a place where I'm treating serving God like something I have to do. I got to. I got to go down to the church and do this. I got to. It always needs to be something we get to do. And whenever it starts feeling like something you got to do, you want to back up off of it 
and spend some time with the Lord and figure out what went wrong. But it shouldn't be I got to do. Um, it should be something that we recognize. It's something I get to do. I get to do something for the Lord. For all that he's done for me, it's something I get to do. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Sometimes maybe you work hard at what you do. And ministry can be very unthankful for those that serve. These guys were called, anointed, hollowed, everything else. But once all this ceremony stuff is over, these guys are doing work. They're going to be working in the tent. And I don't think everybody's coming by every day to say, thank you so much for what you do. Oh, please bless you. They just have to be there doing it for the Lord. Ministry can be like that. You guys can, someone can serve and serve and serve and serve and never, people don't acknowledge it. They might even complain. You know, um, when I worked at Calvary Downey, I think the hardest working man at that church was the children's ministry pastor. He had the largest ministry with the most people under him and the most congregants in his little service every Sunday and Wednesday, that children's ministry is packed, you know, babies and toddlers. And, and he had to make sure that every room was set. And every room was clean. Every room had its materials. Every room had its teachers. The teachers had training. And it was hundreds of teachers and thousands of kids. And I would watch him on Wednesday nights and just watch the people complaining and teachers filing out. And I'd look at him after service. And I mean, I'm like, he worked, he'd been working all day. He got here early. He was setting up. He's been on the phone. He's been making sure that there were teachers in all the rooms. And then at the end of the night, their parents complaining. I don't like that. They're complaining to him about a teacher. He ain't got nothing to do with that. But I don't like that one teacher. I want the other teacher back. And I mean, and I'm just watching. He's got to put out fires. This kid bit my kid. This kid fell down, skinned his knee. You guys aren't safe. And I would just watch him. And it was just such a thankless job, but it was such an important job. And if he wasn't doing it for Jesus, he'd just quit. Why would you put up with that if it wasn't for the Lord? But he loved the Lord and he loved those kids. And he's still there right now. Been going for years. Still going. Loving kids, raising up teachers and making sure they get ministered to. So remember that in your service and your ministering to people that it has to remain as unto the Lord. Uh, something we get to do, not something that we got to do or have to do. And so look at verse four. So it says, gather all the congregation together at the tabernacle of the meeting. Verse four. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And it says, then Moses said to the congregation, this is what the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and he washed them with water. And so now as they kind of prepare for this ceremony, the consecration ceremony, there's a few steps. The first step in the ceremony is they're going to be cleansed, washing. They're being washed. Verse six, again, then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. A couple things. They didn't wash themselves. Um, they came and they were going to stand there and they were going to be washed in front of everybody. I'm sure there were garments on and everything else, but they were going to be washed it's symbolic. And so before service, before they were going to put their hand to the work as a part of this consecration, setting them apart, what's it look like to have a life set apart by God first? It's got to be a clean life. First, got to be cleaned up. And again, they don't wash themselves. They're being washed. It was a one. This this ceremony, this part of here was a one time thing. After this ceremony, they would never be washed like this again. After this, they would have the ceremonial washing of their hands and their feet but not all of them like this. So it was a one-time thing that was going to be taking place here. And for you and I, as we might desire to be of service, we might desire to be set apart and useful to God and someone that God can do something great with. First, we need to be washed. If my life's going to be consecrated, which means to be set apart for God's use, I need to be washed. 
How do we get washed? Yeah, well, obviously there's the washing away of our sins by the blood of Jesus in an ongoing way. How do we stay clean? How do we stay right? First, I got to know the Lord. Um, but then there's an ongoing way that we stay clean. And in the scriptures, there's a few different places where the word of God is the agent of washing. We're told in Ephesians 5, 26, husbands are told that we're to wash our wives with the water of the word. Because the wives get dirty. The husbands don't. Just kidding. Uh, just kidding. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're encouraged. The husbands are encouraged that you would wash your wife with the water of the word. That it'll wash her. It'll wash her from whatever she's been through, whatever she's gone through. With just the, the kids nagging her. Maybe you even got just wash her with the word. Cleanser. Uh, we're told in Psalms 119 verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. And so the word of God is used as that agent of just washing and cleansing in our life. And so while these guys are being prepared and consecrated and set apart for service and they're being washed symbolically, you and I, as we desire to be of service, want to be useful in God's hands, something should be an ongoing thing that we do. We should have an ongoing relationship with the word of God where God washes us. Sometimes it'll be just like this. You guys, you're, you may have your own thoughts that you're contending with and battling with and you get into the word and it washes away all your wrong thinking with right thinking. All the stuff that you were thinking, that's your thoughts. It's not from God. And then God's word comes in and just sets everything straight. And you've been washed. You might go to the word worried and anxious and concerned about things. And you walk away. You've been washed. You can be at peace. You can be at rest. There are times where God's word washes us in that we may go with questions. We may go with things that, God, I just need to hear from you on this. I need an answer. I need you to speak to me on this. And God will wash you, give you answers from his word. But he washes us. He speaks with us. It's, it's time spent with the Lord. Um, everyone, every believer, this should be a regular thing that we do, particularly, though, those that are going to be of service, those who want their lives to be set apart. Uh, ongoing washings, regular washings, regular time in God's word uh, that we might come. And so they were first washed. Verse six. Now, verse seven, it says, and he put the tunic on him, girded him with a sash, clothed him with the robe. And put the ephod on him and girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod and with it tied the ephod on him. And so after they were washed, then they were clothed. And so as they're being consecrated, they're being set apart first. They were washed. Now they're being clothed. And obviously the clothing that's put on them, we've already gone through that earlier, but it was God had prescribed this whole outfit. God had created it. God had given specifically to Moses, the details of how it was to be made, how it was to be put together. And now they're being given these outfits. This is what you're to wear. And for them outwardly, this would set them apart. Nobody else would have this get up. Nobody else would have this garment. Anybody couldn't just get up and say, I want to get me one of them priestly garments and go down to the priestly garment store and buy one of those. It wasn't like that. These things were, you know, specifically made, designed, crafted, put together just for the priest. And they had symbolic meaning all over it. These things were set apart for them. Now, we don't have a garment that we would put on that would say, ooh, that's a holy garment. There are some traditions and churches that try to carry this on and perpetuate this. There is no holy garment. There is no robe that I could put on that would be, you know, this would make me holier in some way. Um, there's no garment for us. For them, it was symbolic. It was outward. For you and I, we are clothed, but we're clothed in a different way. What are we clothed with? The righteousness of Christ. We've been clothed in that. So if you're writing notes, you could uh, write down uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. And 
says this, Revelation 3, verse 5, he who overcomes, that'll be all believers, we are overcomers, shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess him before my Father in heaven. So we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He clothes us. The interesting thing with these clothes, they didn't make the garments themselves. They didn't buy them. They were provided for them. We don't buy our righteousness. We don't provide it for ourselves. It's been provided for us via Christ. And so we want to show up for service in what Christ has provided, clothed in his righteousness, clothed by him. For these guys, this is what they needed to show up in because God had said so. Um, as priests, as guys that were going to serve in this office, this was the outfit that they needed to show up with. And for you and I, we also have the righteousness of Christ is how we need to show up for service. If I show up to serve God without the righteousness of Christ, is it of any benefit? No. Matthew 7. Those that serve, they prophesied, they cast out demons, they did many works. And God says, I never knew you. That's not where we want to be. We don't want to serve like that. We don't want to serve in a way where God said, I don't even know you. I want to first be known by him. Um, that is of the utmost importance. Then we go on in our service. And so the right, the, the outfits, the garments were provided for them. Just a few things on the garments. Um, you know, there's the ephod. There's all the things that speak of the priesthood and all their symbolism. And in verse eight says, then he put the breastplate on him and he put the urim and the thummim in the breastplate. And for you guys, remember the urim and the thummim, these were, it meant lights and perfections. These are the things that the priest would use to discern the will of God. And so the way the priesthood worked back then is that people would come to the priests as they were seeking God. If you wanted to seek God, you went to the servant. You went to the priest and said, I want to know. I'm praying about what, I want to know what God's will is on this. And they would inquire of the Lord on your behalf and the urim and the thummim somehow between this, there's only speculation. We can't say for sure how they would know, but they would be able to come up with the will of God and give it back to them. That was important. That's an important role. I think of that thing right there like, wow, imagine being in a place where you're giving God's direction. Like people are coming to you to hear from God. That's how the priesthood worked. That's how that, that ministry worked, that the priest served in this role where they received from the Lord and gave it to men. They received from men and gave it to the Lord. They were in this in-between spot between man. And then New Testament, there is no priest anymore. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man. Who is it? It's the man Christ Jesus, right? There's nothing else. There's no man in this sort of role. So I just want to point that out because we don't want to be looking for that guy now. Is there someone that you need to go to to get a word from the Lord? Yes, no? Not no. You might go to a friend and get a word from the Lord, but you don't have to. You can go to the Lord and get a word from the Lord, right? You can get on the floor in your room, pray, open up your Bible, and God is giving you all kind of words. Bam, 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 everything you need right there. It's not to say that God wouldn't do that, but we don't, this is not our prescription. We don't run to the priest. We don't run down to the church. We don't run down to the pastor to, to discern the will of God. You guys have access to the Lord. You got a relationship with Jesus Christ of your own, and so it's different. But these guys had a very important role that God was giving them and that they would work in that way. I think it's interesting in the New Testament, God says that we also are have a priest. Everybody write down 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and verse 9. I want to read it to you real quick. 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to read verse 5 and verse 9. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, it says, Coming to him, speaking of Jesus, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. In verse 5. You also 
as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so we're reminded here in first Peter that we have a similar, not the same, but a, a similar ministry that we're living stones, that we're being built up into a spiritual house and that we're a holy priesthood. Um, in what way are we a holy priesthood? In what way? Um, I'm not a go-between. I'm not an in-between, but I do get to be a bridge. We do get to be in a place we lead people to him. Uh, we do get to be in a place where we intercede on his behalf for other people. A holy priesthood says to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And look down at verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so again, the last part of verse nine, we're a chosen generation of royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Um, again, in a different way than the Old Testament priests, we're his own special people that we may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God said all those things. And one thing we get to do is proclaim his goodness. We get to speak his praises. The one that brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We get to help bring other people along that way. We get to help speak that to other people, speak to them about what God has done for us. I just would ask us, how often are we sharing with people that are in darkness? How that we were brought out of darkness? How frequently are we doing that? How regularly do you tell people that are still in the dark that you used to be in the dark and that you've been brought into the light? How often are we communicating the gospel to people? How often are we telling people the good news? Put out a challenge on Sunday, encouraging everybody to go out and just tell somebody, just do it. And I'm amazed that even within a church, like even in a gathering of believers, there are people, they won't do it. They won't. It's just too uncomfortable to step out and go and just tell somebody else what God has done. And I pray that God will break that up, that we would just be free, that we would get to a place and we'll see it as we get going, that we would come to a place where, man, there wouldn't be anything holding us back. There wouldn't be anything to hold us back from speaking that, from telling somebody, why would we hold that back? Why wouldn't we just freely share that? What would hold us back? What would hinder us from just freely telling people who he is and what he's done, how much they need him? And so um, back over here, back to Leviticus chapter eight, they were... First, cleanse. Then they were clothed. And last part of the clothing, um, it says in verse nine, and he put on, he put the turban on his head, also on the turban on its front. He put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, beginning in verse 10, they've been cleansed. They've been clothed. Now they're going to be anointed for service. And so I'm going to read a chunk from here. Verse 10, it says, also Moses took the anointing oil. And he anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it, and he consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils and the laver in its base to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them and girded them with sashes and put hats on them as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so first they were cleansed, then they were clothed. Now they're anointed for service. Uh, he anoints them. So 
This oil right here that he's putting on them, it was sprinkled first on everything else. It was sprinkled on non-living things. It was sprinkled on the altar and sprinkled on the laver and sprinkled on the, uh, the utensils. And he sprinkled it on the base and all those things were just to set those items aside, to consecrate them. But I want you to notice that he sprinkled it on the stuff, but he didn't sprinkle it on Aaron's son. What did he do? He poured it on them. Pastor Bill Buffington will share more from the book of Leviticus right here on A Transforming Word. But that's all we have time for today. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood, and our prayer is that this ministry touches your faith in such a way that you grow closer to Jesus. We know just how hard it is to live like Christ in a world full of darkness. But just as the Israelites had to learn, God is near. Even when you don't see Him, even when you don't feel Him, even when you don't understand Him, He is near and He is for you. His grace is endless and His love is deep. When the pressures of this world get to you, remember who you are in Him. If you'd like to learn more about the book of Leviticus and you'd like to study the Bible more deeply, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide to help you explore the Word on a daily basis. Just visit CalvaryEnglewood.org and you'll find resources and tools to help you continue to grow in your faith. Before we go, we also want to let you know that you can connect with us on social media too. Like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We'll add some uplifting content to your week. A Transforming Word is a broadcast on the radio, and our goal is to help spread the good news of the gospel. If you'd like to find out more about how to support A Transforming Word, go to CalvaryEnglewood.org or donate through our app. We're so thankful for your support and more than anything, we hope this ministry has been and continues to be a blessing to you. Thanks for your support and thanks for tuning in. To learn more from Leviticus, be sure to join us next time right here on A Transforming Word.